2: You are tuning into the library
1: with Tim Inaco, rapstation.com.
2: Back in the days when I was a teenager, before I had status and before I had a pager, you can find the abstract. Listening to hip hop, my pops used to say it reminded him of bebop. I said, Well, Daddy, don't you know that things go in cycles? Way the Bobby Brown is just amp, but like Michael, it's all expected. Things are for the looking. If you got the money, Quest is for the booking. Come on, everybody, let's see. The called Quest,
3: Black Sheep, real, The Jungle Brothers, Brother, Eric Badu, D'Angelo. These are some of the artists that my next job job guest has worked with. He's a professor at NYU, a producer. Composer and an engineer who has been helping c- to create R&B and hip-hop classes for the past thirty years. He's Bob Power, and I want to welcome him to the library with Timon and Keller. Rhapsody.com.
1: Hi, hi. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, You're very welcome. We may hear my dog at some point, so if you hear a barking, that's not me. <laughs> he does great impressions. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so I just want to start with
3: you. You know, obviously, just mentioned you've been doing this for over for thirty years. So you've you've you've, you've experienced technology's growth. Um, <laughs> oh for you, what is the main difference in the process and the end results of mixing and mastering today versus you know when you have artists that talk about, back in the day, real to real, and how that's such a warmer feel? Do you think that's the same thing? Do you feel the same way?
1: Um, first of all, I've been recording since about 1973, I think. Not myself. I, I was playing all the time then. Um, I only started engineering in the mid-'80s or so anybody who works in the studio regularly, particularly uh, technically oriented people will tell you it's so much easier now than it used to be. Uh, You used to be limited by the tracks you had on the tape machine, which in a way was a good thing and in a way wasn't. Uh, But it did force you to commit to things in a way that Pro Tools and unlimited tracks doesn't force you into that. Um, It impacts me as a mixer because when I get tracks I got a track to mix the other day there were 120 audio voices it's like you know me sifting through a gazillion tracks of background vocals none of you know a lot of stuff didn't really have to be there but they just felt like it so they opened up another track so everything is much easier now Uh, my one of my sayings is if you can think of it you can do it and I think it's the same for video audio And uh, any kind of uh, digital media, if you can think of it, if you can conceptualize it, the tools are there now where you can usually pull that off.
3: Something like that where you get 120 different vocals. Is that
1: something that you're
3: supposed to use all 120? Well, a it wasn't 128
1: tracks of vocals. Oh, I know, right? But, 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 but like... there were probably 50 or 60. Um, yeah, and unfortunately, it's my job to sort of through it. Back when we were working on Analog, if I got a real sort of big vocal-heavy R&B track, you know, 90s R&B track, the first day often was just sifting through the background vocals and getting those balances and those groupings together you know producers who are together send you stuff where the background vocals are grouped already according to what function they're serving and if they're supposed to be working together they're usually coming up on one fader mm. people aren't always they don't uh, keep their house that neat often <laughs> um you, know, you 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 obviously have this
3: elite ear for for music, and um, but you also you also mix different genres of music. Mm-hmm. Is there I don't know if this makes make sense, but is there like a common common sound maybe or a common feel mm-hmm. that all these genres have that kind of continuously draws you to them?
1: Well, I'm sort of of the school that the first order of business is can I hear everything. Now, a lot of artists may not want you to hear everything. They may want you to sort of feel something. But I'm also of the mind that if you can't hear it, why have it there? Right. But on the other side of the coin, I know how you build up a feel, and it's often through a lot of little tiny intangibles that you don't hear separate entities in the track, but if you take them out, everything falls apart. And you say, (laughs) hey, what happened? Yeah, so I often get asked a lot of questions about... uh, esoteric factors in mixing and any grand philosophical um, direction that I have and honest to God the first one is can I hear everything Mm. I also I know how to build a vibe I can make something sound weird but I also feel that a well produced piece of music will A tell you exactly what you need to do with it and B often just to expose everything that's there in a big warm and present way will satisfy my part of The project uh, in the mix uh, because it's already there on. on, I say on tape. Everybody still says on on (laughs) tape. Uh, You talk to
3: artists, uh, DJ, even DJs, uh, producers, right? And about their albums, and they'll tell you there was a mission in this album, a mission going in, and Mm -hmm. it might have changed. Mm -hmm. Is that the same for you? I mean, do you? How do I guess? How do you? Do you have a mission going into each of the projects that you're working on? And if so, how do you kind of convey that mission?
1: My mission is to suss out what the producer and the artist meant to be doing and to go there. And to make it make the music go there more than it already is. That's pretty much my mission. I mean... Uh, I have a certain sound which happens to be kind of full and somewhat natural but again I really suss out what the artist and and producer meant to be doing and try to go there and I think that anybody who's done this for a while understands that it's just not about them. It's about the artist, ultimately. It's the same thing as a producer. You know, you have to find what's unique and special about the artist, and make sure that you frame that in a way where they look and sound really great, and don't lose sight of that because that's what makes that artist special and unique.
3: Can you uh, going from that? Can, can you? I mean, you know, when you deal with hip hop, you um, you know, the, the, it's always about the you know the, the fight is the lyrics, the lyrical content. How important is that? Um, is that is that the same for you is that is that i mean i guess can you quote unquote afford to quote unquote care what the artist is saying um and and if so like if you are let's say for example if you are bothered by the content how do you kind of separate that from your mind and i've
1: been very fortunate that my karma in the business has been such that for the most part i just worked with people who were like-minded with me and really great people for the most part. So I never really had an issue with lyrics that said something that I didn't think was too cool. You know, during the big gun years in the early 90s, uh, my people did not go there. Um, The people that, you know, there may be traces of misogyny in lyrics, But again, most of the people I work with do it in such a way where it's not patently offensive on the surface, nor is the whole thing built around that. You know, uh, D'Angelo sings love songs sometimes. So it just depends on how you want to interpret that. Is that misogynistic, or is that just a plain love song? Right. Uh, It has to do with objectifying women, and that's a much more complicated thing than we can talk about now.
3: Right. I mean, speaking of the artists you've worked with, you're D'Angelo, like you said, Angie Stone, Common, The Roots, Badu, Tribe. Just if you could quickly say,
1: what kind of drew you to each of these artists? they called. (laughs) (laughs) Um... When someone calls me, if if I have time and I like the music, I, I go there. And all those people certainly had something really pretty wonderful to offer musically, so it was kind of a delight for me to be able to do that.
3: How much of their, I mean, I guess maybe it depends on the artist, but how much of their music do you have to hear before you're like, okay, there, uh,
1: I'm in? Well, most of the people who've approached me I've been somewhat familiar with already. If they... You know, if they bring me in on their first record, I often hear what they're doing. Obviously, as a producer, I hear all the demos and all the songs. Uh, as a mixer, I'm usually pretty familiar with it, too. Uh, one question I do, when I'm mixing, one question I do ask producers is, how close did you get to recording things the way you want them to sound? Mm. And that often kind of hips me to what I need to do on the sonic end. For an album
3: such as D'Angelo's Brown Sugar, you were the, you produced it, you recorded it, and mixed it. Half of it. Half of it. Uh, when you take on roles like all three of these roles, are you able to separate yourself? Or is it like you're a producer, it's the big umbrella, and then engineering
1: and mixing is kind of underneath that? That's a good question. Um, it's really a lot of work and a, and a real balancing act. The good news is by now, and I don't know, I don't think I was quite that way then by now, engineering is so second nature to me that I can actually do something that sounds really, really good with a minimum of complicated setup and stuff like that. And at different parts of the project, I have to actually get into a different head. You're right. When I'm writing, I have to sort of consciously tell myself, don't fix the (laughs) hi-hat. Meaning don't go back and get into the minutiae what are you doing at this moment and what I'm doing at that moment is being as freely creative as I can be. Uh, so at different points you sort of have to go to different places in your head.
3: Uh, prior to actually um, albums such as uh, Brown Sugar and like Low End Theory uh, just prior to creating those albums, uh, what was that discussion like with each of the artists? I mean, was there was it? I, 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 just a kind of a quick like, was there a mission statement that you guys were going with? And then you, and then how did you ensure that you guys stayed with that mission statement? Or is there something, or when you're creating an album in general, you might have a mission statement start at point A, but at, by point C, that might have changed.
1: Yeah, but also, my job as a practitioner is to be able to suss that out pretty quickly, even without somebody telling me. I mean, the low end theory, the name alone was right. you know, the thing. Uh, at that time, Low end was sort of uh, the drug of choice in the hip hop world, and still is to some degree. So technology was just starting to allow us to make it actually better in that end of things and better in all ways. So uh, generally, the music will tell you exactly what you need to do, um, and of course, you know, you talk with the artist, and they'll say more of this, less of this. Now, I, you know, that. It's not what I meant, uh, but I've been fortunate enough to be with artists who had a strong enough stamp as an artist and an individual music creator that there was no question as to what needed to be done.
3: Is a lot of it when creating in the studio. is a lot of it—I mean, not a lot of it, but if some, how much of it is, is based on feel? <laughs> I, you know, I, like are you like you're doing a beat or you're engineering something or mixing something, and then you just. Something pops in your brain, like, i got to add
1: this. Well, that's that's the creative impulse. And everything you do as a musician or as a recordist has to have a feel. Uh, My idea of production often is being prepared enough and putting up enough safety nets that when you get to the studio, you actually, there's such a firm... Base to where you meant to go, that you can veer from that and know you're not going to jump off a cliff. You know, put up enough safety nets so you can actually go in the studio and be as free as you can. I, people used to say, "Oh, you do so much pre-production. You know, it takes all the life out of stuff." No, no, it's exactly the opposite. I do that so when we go in the studio, we can let special things happen and know that we have a base to stand on.
3: I was reading an interview that you did with uh, Red Bull Music Academy and and. They asked you about Jay Dilla, mm-hmm. um, and you know something you said. You said your first about your first impressions of him. You said uh, <laughs> the first time I heard JD shit, I was like, "Okay, I get it," but I don't feel it. And right. very quickly you said you started to feel it. Um,
1: what do you? What do you I think? I feel you, vindicated in that, by the way, because Questlove said the same thing. So I don't feel like such a geek. <laughs> well,
3: but what was it? What, what do you remember? Like what it was exactly that kind of. You start to feel that, or what you heard that made you feel it. Well, it's
1: like you know, I liken JD to Monk, to Thelonious Monk. When Monk was active, Bebop was in full uh, swing, and you know, and Monk comes along and goes, <laughs> right. blink, blah blah. Uh, so. I think J.D. came along and had a whole different way of hearing time and rhythm. And uh, sometimes it takes people a second when they listen to it to say, oh, I get that. That's really funky. But by the same token, if you listen to the meters, they're not perfect, but Mm -hmm. they're funky as hell. So it's all about how it's imperfect uh, and you can't quantify that. It's funny, at NYU, some of the folks I teach with were actually, on a musicological and theoretical level, trying to quantify JD's rhythmic displacements. And I kind of think, you know, I have a couple music degrees. I know the importance of, of academia and, and thorough examination of stuff. But I also feel like assigning... Numbers to a feel doesn't really do it quite justice. You can do the same numbers, but it won't come out the same way because you're not that person and you don't have that same overall feel.
3: Was there something that I mean? Have you ever, when you watched, or have you watched
1: uh, Jay DeLa work? Was there something that you remembered, of that kind of blew you away? But Jay was a very quiet, really nice guy to me. All my clients, I've been really lucky. Can I curse? Yeah. Yeah, I never. I had to you w- cursing, so you know. I, I never had to work with too many assholes in my career, and it's been lucky. It's been my karma. Also, by the same token, as a as a support person in the studio, you're supposed to be able to get past somebody being an asshole and still help them anyway. Um, Jay was a very quiet guy, uh, and to me, at least, he spoke very much through his music. Also, because of the way he heard music and heard frequencies and programmed his stuff. It was very much how I approach a mix, particularly in that genre, mm-hmm. so there really didn't have to be that much said.
3: I remember listening to a, a BBC radio documentary on Jay Della, and there was one point where they were talking about, in Detroit, coming home from a club, I think his brother was talking, and he started, Jay started playing, like, records, and he played, like, you know, like, three seconds here, three seconds there, He's he like, hey, hear that, hear that, hear that, and then... Afterwards, you create like a whole entire
1: yeah. beat from it. I, I find that hip-hop-oriented beat makers and DJs, because they're all DJs, have much better ears than anybody else in the business. They can hear a half a second. Tip can do this. You know, he can hear a half a second of a record. I can do this, too, because a record has a certain stamp of a sound that you can identify immediately if you know it. Um, that said, musicians usually come at it from a different point of view of thinking about the music itself rather than the recording and I think that there's a big difference Uh, and that's what I do at NYU is I'm at the Clive Davis Institute of Recorded Music and that's all we are all about recorded music uh, as an entity so beat makers, Ali can do this, Tip can do this, they can hear a record and re contextualize it in their head which I find amazing really really amazing yeah. speaking of someone that is able to uh, create beats
3: uh, I was looking through your discography and you uh, you worked with Roselle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what's what's fascinating about him is that well is that he's he's someone who's making music but with his mouth mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, for you when you're working with someone like that uh how does that work in terms of like you? Like, you know what a guitar sounds like when you play it, right? It's um, the guitar behind you. You know what that sounds like. But Rosello creating car- guitar with his mouth is going to be a different sound, no?
1: Yeah, and you have to accept that for what it is. You know, I have the I teach arranging as well at school, and I have a, a, a sort of approach called functional arranging. If you need something that goes ta 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 and is bright in timbre and can articulate in that fashion. Uh, it can be a guitar, it can be a trumpet, it can be a synthesizer. What function is it serving in the music? And on a very conceptual level, you say, well, it's doing an active part with a uh, strong attack in its articulation, and it's medium to bright. Well, that can kind of be anything. Uh, So I always uh, have heard music in terms of what the function of that part is doing rather than it's that thing specifically. Uh, you know, that was a very challenging record. We did two or three tracks, and how to build something that, you know, Razel gets on stage and is amazing. Right. But how to translate that to a record that's something other than him just standing up and beatboxing into a microphone and turning that into different parts and something that has the size and varied nature of a record, that was an interesting proposition.
3: Um... You have to see, we've talked about how you've been doing this for
1: a little over 30 years. Um, I've what been did actually th- making music, uh, you know, because I played for a living for a long time. I've been making music 63, 83, 93, 83, almost 50 years. I mean, over it's 50- amazing. Wow. You know, picking up my sister's folk guitar in is, the 60s. <laughs>
3: um, is there. Um, So far, is there kind of one or two pieces of work that you've done that constantly kind of you're blown away by that the project was done or a track was done? You know...
1: um, I
3: know it's probably a lot. (laughs) What
1: what I do is help other people. So I've always been blown away by the artistry of the people that I've worked with, and the records are about them and not about me, and I'm a facilitator. There's some pieces of music that I've written and realized myself that I like when I listen to, but also many of the things I've worked on with other people I love in the same way, but it's really about them. It's not about me. And I think most of the thing I've been, again, pretty blessed. The things that I hear, the things that have become popular that I was involved in are all really pretty high quality because the artists are very high quality.
3: I want to end on uh, you know something that... So- when i've worked in radio for a long time and you uh it's hard to listen to radio now because you kind of hear the little mistakes or the or something right uh for you is it hard to listen to an album without i guess being putting your producer hat on or putting your composer hat on putting your engineer hat on
1: no it's not hard at all um i definitely go into a different mode when i'm listening for an enjoy for enjoyment and honestly, I mean, I listen to a lot of jazz. I listen to a lot of classic soul music from the seventies and early eighties i I guess all my life when I've heard a piece of recorded music, I'm sort of taking deconstructing it in Bang. my head. but no,, uh, it does not get in the way of my enjoyment it 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 does sometimes, but by this point, I'm pretty clear on, okay. You're not listening analytically right now. Are you enjoying this? Uh, when I'm upstate, uh, there's A, there are a couple of stations with no playlists, just the DJs do their own playlists. And B, I flip around between different stations of different genres, and just if something's cool, I leave it on until something comes on that, it, that bores me, and then I go to something else. And it's all the way from classical to country to, to rock to hip-hop. It You know, it's everything producer,
3: composer, engineer, and a professor uh, Bob Power, thank you so much for joining me in the library with Tim Iyden, Calum,
1: Thank you for having me